Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. They are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey, amigos. It is Sunday, the 16th of March, 2014. I do not have a whole lot of time today, but I didn't want to skip putting out a show for this week. So let's go ahead and jump in. First of all, I want to thank Norberto for sending a donation to the show and, well, I guess to me. Uh, So I really appreciate that. It is a very humbling thing uh, to receive somebody's hard-earned cash because they think that the show is good and they think that the, you know, the show offers them some value. So again, I appreciate that, Norberto, and uh, thank you very much for that. Now, uh, the last couple of shows, we had some emails from Isaac, and he was talking about one of the things that he had to do was he had to sell some of his firearms in order to take care of some family obligations. He wrote another thing saying that he had actually been able to save up some money and uh, had a firearm again. And so he's kind of writing uh, pertaining to that. Let me pull his email up. And he writes in his last email, uh, again, and this is regarding him not having a a firearm in the house. I felt defenseless and I talked to my wife and we agreed we need to protect our family to the best of our ability. I did want to add to my first email. The whole country needs to be concerned about the Connecticut issue because if it stands, look for the other states to follow. Definitely if it goes to the Supreme Court. Thanks again, Isaac. Uh, so I think, again, um, most of you guys are probably aware uh, of what's going on in Connecticut. Uh, basically, what happened is after after the shooting at the school, they rushed through a, a bunch of different laws. Part of that was that if you had a quote-unquote assault weapon, it had to be registered by a certain time. Also, magazines had to be registered by a certain time, and there was going to be a a capacity limit of, I think, 10 rounds. Well, turns out the deadline kind of came and went, and while several people did register, the vast majority of people, or the vast majority of firearms that they felt should have been registered, did not come to pass. And so the question now is, since the majority of the people are engaging in civil disobedience to what they feel is an unjust and unconstitutional law, 
what does the state's law enforcement, what do they do? Are they going to go enforce that law? And if they are going to enforce that law, how would they do it? And what they've kind of said in press conferences is the police have basically said, if we are ordered to do it, we will go and confiscate the firearms. Well, how would you do that? If there is no registration prior, uh, and I don't know with Connecticut laws, I don't know if, if uh, prior to, to this new stuff, if you had to have uh, kind of like they have in, I think it's uh, Illinois, you have to have a, a, a permit or, or a card just to purchase something, to purchase a fire, certain type of firearm. Uh, I don't know uh, what their laws were prior. However, I would have to, based on what they're, what they're saying now, is that you could at least own AR-15s, AK-47s, and all, all the variants thereof. Uh, so anyway, one of the ways that if you were law enforcement, that you would find out kind of who's bought these maybe in the last 10, 15 years is you would go to the individual gun stores and, and, uh, sporting goods stores and places that sold firearms. And you would say, I want to look at those forms that people fill out, which, and I always forget the number. It's like, uh, 4377 or whatever it is. Anyway, you guys know what the number is and what they would do. Uh, the, the the store owners are required to keep that on file. At, uh, from the last I heard, it was like 20 years, I think. And if any time during that 20 years, if they that store goes out of business, they were then supposed to remit those forms to, I think it was to the ATF. If I'm wrong on this stuff, somebody write in and correct me. Uh, or if I've got a few details wrong, uh, go ahead and let me know. Uh, but anyway... What the ATF would do, so let's say let's say 20 years ago, I had a business and I went out of business and I remitted my paperwork to them, my logbooks and all this customer list, and it went to the ATF. Well, 20 years has gone by since my last purchase. What they were supposed to do is then get rid of them. They're supposed to destroy them. I do not believe that once they had that information in their possession that they would ever destroy them or that they would ever get rid of them. Uh, I think they would do, I think it happened in Delaware, to where what they were doing is uh, the law said after a, you know, a background check or whatever has been done, you have to get rid of it after you know, 24 or 72 hours, something like that. You have to get rid of the paper trail, which they did. But what they weren't doing was they weren't getting rid of the electronic thing that had all that information. So they said, well, because it's an electronic file, it's not the paper file, and so we're therefore not breaking the law. Uh, so again, um, if though, let's say that company is still in business and let's say they wanted stuff from the last five years and, and the, none of the stores had, had remitted any of that stuff, the way that they would do it is they would go to those stores and they would say, well, we want to see those forms. You, you need to hand that stuff over to us because we need to find these felons. At that point, the store owner has has basically two options. Either they're going to give them up or they're not. Um, and if they don't, uh, at that point, law enforcement would then either uh, get a warrant for those things or they would basically just raid the, uh, they would raid the store and just take them, uh, whether they had a warrant or, or not, that type of thing. And, and generally what they would do is they would, they would get a warrant. So uh, whether that warrant would be Based on actual factual information, um, eh, who knows? Now, the the way it is 
supposed to work, from my understanding, is during the course of a legitimate investigation, law enforcement could come. And you notice I'm using the term law enforcement. I'm not using police, police officers. Law enforcement could get a warrant for that individual. And they they, they would say, well, you know, uh, we think uh, Joe Smith got the firearm here. We, we want to check it. What that would do for them, I don't know. Uh, you know, for an ongoing crime, at least they could say, "Well, he got it here where it wasn't stolen." I don't, I don't really know. the The real reason that law enforcement or or the feds would want those forms is so that they can form and keep a registry. Uh, so just like we said, and they'll figure out how to do it to where it's you know it, it skirts the law. So talking about that. Um, What's going to happen in 2014 in, in Connecticut? Um, will there be a turnover with their legislature? I, you know, I don't know. Are those things going to be repealed? Uh, will the laws be actively enforced? Um, and I forget who it was, but and I and I don't know if it was some Roman or, or maybe somebody from modern times. But basically, what what the quote was something, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, but. The quote basically said, never pass a law you're not willing to enforce. And it looks like that's maybe what they've done in Connecticut. I don't think they're too they're too keen on starting to go door to door and collect stuff. Because I think what would happen, and it would be a terrible tragedy for everybody involved, but I think if they were doing that, eventually it would lead to bloodshed. Um, eventually... Uh, citizens would be would be harmed or killed, and eventually law enforcement would be harmed or killed, uh, because at, at a certain point people would would say, "I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to fight." Uh, how how many of those would be, I don't know. But if it was one person that did that, and somebody ended up getting killed, either that person or or law enforcement, I mean that that would sort of be one person too many that got killed, and it would be a thing of it would be a a a senseless and and uh um, tragic death that never needed to happen in the first place there was no reason for it uh basically just because with the stroke of a pen they made people who otherwise had had committed no crime and how and who had victimized no one turn those people into criminals and and in our society of course we say felons and felonies are much more serious than uh, misdemeanor. So obviously, uh, committing a felony is is more uh, of, of a, a person who would do that is more of a threat than a person who maybe parks illegally, uh, you know that type of a thing. So uh, anyway, what we're saying is just by possession of property and by you by by you saying that you don't have the blessing of the government that. You are now in that category of the people that are most dangerous in our society, uh, which is ridiculous. So, anyway, I was talking about you know before about how um, how law enforcement would go about kind of getting that information, and we see that this has been going on with I think Aries Armor, and I will put a link to them over on the website. Uh, also. I will put a link to um, 
nothing fancy. I don't know if you guys are familiar at all with his uh, his channel. He's a real popular uh, firearms reviewer, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. Um, a lot of people like him, a lot of people don't. Um, but anyway, he had a interview uh, with Dimitri Karras, who is a uh, who is the I guess the CEO of uh, Ares Armor over in California, and I want to say it's like San Diego, or San Diego or Oceanside. Uh, but anyway, he did a good interview with him, and uh, I'll I put a, I'll put a link to that video, and then I'll also put a link to a letter that was published on the twelfth of this month. Now, of course, today is the sixteenth, and I think what happened was that there were some 80% lowers or for an AR-15. Now, for those of you guys that don't know what an 80% lower is, the lower is what they consider uh, um, uh, to be the firearm. Uh, Now, a a stripped lower, so even a lower that has nothing in it, that's just basically the metal or the polymer, depending on what type of lower it is, that has a serial number on it, and again, that's what the ATF considers to be a firearm. And there's a thing called an 80% lower, and what that means is it's an unfinished um, or unmilled receiver. Uh, and there are certain things that can't be uh, milled or drilled out if it's to still be considered an 80% uh uh, receiver. So the ATF has said, well, um, you this would have to be kind of solid or un, I don't know if unmilled or non-milled or is is that the thing? So you you couldn't have any of the fire control cavity. You can't have your your selector lever. So basically, your safety switch can't be drilled out. Um, the triggers, the trigger slot, so where you know your trigger would drop down in, and so you can you can pull the trigger. That can't be in there. The pinholes for the trigger, or for the trigger and the pinholes for the hammer. So how those are held in uh, on the firearm? You have basically two pins, uh, one that will hold the trigger kind of assembly, and the other that holds the hammer. So as long as those things have not been milled out, it is basically not considered to be a firearm. So it would be. Just like you buying a magazine or you buying a a forearm or a barrel, um, that type of thing. So there doesn't need to to be a a background check. There doesn't need to be a um, uh, uh, any type of registration, that type of stuff. And so I think that what's happened is maybe I, I don't know why the ATF was. Um, Looking at Aries armor, um, I don't know if uh, that I'm just not sure. I have no idea why they originally started looking at them. I think it was back in 2012, at the very maybe very very end of that. And anyway, one of the things that he says in the interview was that basically ATF came to him and said, "Hey, we're finding that people who are are having this stuff, that people are in possession of this stuff that shouldn't be, and so we want a customer list because what." I guess in theory what they were thinking is people who are coming in and doing straw purchases. Now, since it's not a firearm, I don't know, um, again, I don't know if that would be a prohibited item. So it would be like, let's say if somebody was a, 
had had been a felon for you know uh, uh, I don't know um, shop I don't know shoplifting if you shoplift something that's over a certain value that can be it can be gone up into a felony charge. So let's say that somebody had done that. They had shoplifted like a uh, like a watch that was like two or three hundred bucks or something like that. So anyway, let's say they had done that, you know, when they were 18 or 19. And so that felon's, felony's been on there. And it turns out that the guy has a unmilled 80% lower receiver. And I don't know. And I think what they did is they found some people like that. Uh, so again, I don't know, though, if it's not, again, if it's not considered a firearm, if you were that felon, that let's say that, that guy who was 40, who when he was 18 stole a $300 watch, if you have a a barrel, if you have a um, a buttstock or an upper receiver, are you know are those things that are prohibited to you? And I don't think they are. Um, so anyway, the long and short of it was that that ATF basically was saying, "Look, we won't charge you with stuff if you give us your customer list." And he was saying, "No, I'm not going to do that." And they were kind of harassing him. And then what happened was, is he got a restraining order against the ATF that said that they could not, that they needed to, um, they needed to kind of back off and not harass them anymore until that they can kind of work everything out. Um, so, and I think that was, uh, let me read this here. It says, for the time being, we are safe. We are granted a temporary restraining order against the BATFE on March 11th. Um, but if we look at other things, it appears that on the, I want to say on the 15th, ATF uh, rated them. And um, I will put a link to uh, the video and uh, here's a little uh, thing here that says, despite being granted a restraining order, the ATF has apparently raided San Diego area firearms parts seller Aries Armor anyway. Aries sells 80% lowers, which the ATF has classified as quote-unquote firearms. Uh, the ATF has been pursuing areas to turn over their sales records or lose them in a raid. Um, and again, like I said, they were granted a, uh, a restraining order. I will try and put a link to this video up as well. Um, but again, it, it kind of it kind of brings you know to mind, or or it brings up, I guess, the question of when. When 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 would you? And I don't necessarily, uh, you know, expect answers or anybody to go out on a limb and say, "Well, this is when I would," you know, not. Uh, this is when I would, you know, engage in civil disobedience. But this is more kind of like a thought exercise for you guys. Like, when would you engage in civil disobedience if, in your state, they said you've got to register this stuff now, where before you didn't have to. Uh, would you do it? Or uh, another thing is, if you live in a state where there are private sales and you could buy a, uh, a firearm from uh, a private individual, 
and then the law came down and said, well, you can, uh, you need to register these things. You know, would you do it? And if, if they were in, you know, if like, uh, Oh, where was it? I think like in Colorado, one of the concerns was like, well, would the police then go to a uh, a range and randomly pick people and say, you need to show me that you have proof that you've registered this thing or we need to, we're going to get your name and uh, your information and we're going to run you through our system and we're going to see if that firearm you're using is in the database and registered and if not... We're going to arrest you. We're going to confiscate it, blah, 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 blah. You're going to be in trouble. And even if all they did, if they didn't, let's say if they didn't uh, end up charging you because what they wanted to do was confiscate, would they do that? And I think I misspoke. I think I said police. I should have said uh, law enforcement. If if the uh, enforcers were going to sit outside of a gun range. I don't want to give the police a bad name. So, you know, I don't know. I think uh, right now we're seeing some things that are kind of critical for what people are going to be willing to stand for. Uh, you know, and again, it, it sort of also brings up the question, you know, if you have bought stuff in the past through uh, an FFL dealer and you live in a state where you can uh, engage in private sales, are you going to sell your stuff that you've got that would be on record and then get new stuff that you're going to get through Completely 100% legal means, but where there's not going to be a record. Um, I've sold stuff. I've sold some shotguns and I've sold some handguns and, and things like that through private sales. And you you basically, it's it's not hard to to say, well, I, you know, I, I did my due diligence and tried to make sure that I didn't sell it to somebody who I thought wouldn't be uh, or who would be a prohibited possessor. And a lot of times... Uh, you know, you can if somebody's willing to sign a bill of sale with their, you know, name, um, and if, if especially if they've got a, uh, a CCW permit, like out here in Arizona where I live, uh, I've sold some stuff to to people that have had uh, CCW permits. So at least I I did everything I could, and you know, the majority of people who are doing that are not prohibited possessors. Uh, so, you know, there may be, a, you know, there's, there's a few here and there, uh, but the people by and large that are selling, uh, and buying guns privately, uh, are, are again, probably 99.9% of those people are, are all above border, all legal, all this type of stuff. So anyway, um, you know, I, I, that I would be interested in hearing from you guys, you know, would, if, if you lived in a state where you could buy stuff privately, would you would you sell maybe some of your guns and buy not not even if you're going to sell all of them but maybe would you would you sell some stuff and say well I just want a couple of things that aren't on the radar I know there are a lot of people that feel that way but would you actually kind of go to the trouble to do that um, and then if you're a guy like me who puts out a show or if you're a guy who has a lot of YouTube videos and things like that and you're and you're showing your stuff would you say at that point well. Pfft, it doesn't matter, you know. I'm here. I'm on YouTube. I'm on. I'm on the web. I'm on iTunes. You know, yapping about my guns that I got. Uh, and if they ever were really gonna come door to door, I'm gonna be one of the first people they're gonna come to, or I'm gonna be at least on a list that they're gonna want to go check. So, 
Uh, anyway, guys, I'm kind of running out of time, so I would love to get some feedback, just your thoughts on it. Uh, if you want to send it in more kind of um, on the down low, I won't read anybody's name out or even where they're from. I'll just say, oh, we have some feedback from uh, this person. Or I'll just say from uh, from Joe. So everybody who writes in will be named Joe. So anyway, uh, I think I will draw it to a close. Uh, again, thank you for spending your time with me. Thanks for hanging in with me. And I hope to hear from you soon. Take care, guys. Here we go. One step at a time, don't be I love drugs and drinking and gambling, and my moral compass always points south. Yeah!